Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they show it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted. By Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Welcome in to. The live show. It is Wednesday night. Our usually scheduled program is here. Uh, I, I tweeted out earlier today. I feel like it's been a while since we've been on Wednesday night. And Ryan, last year, all throughout the pandemic, all throughout the season, we had that Wednesday staple show. I wanted to do it this week. Get it back uh, today. And we have it. How are you, my friend? I'm doing great. Yeah. Like you said, this is the staple show. This is our bread and butter, what we started doing way back when. So I'm glad that we're back live on Wednesday. Live on Wednesday night, every night throughout the season. We're going to have at least two shows for you guys every week. And then, of course, that third show on game days. Uh, This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. If this is your first time here in with us, we're going to talk all things Bills for as long as we go, it could be 35 minutes. It could be an hour. Tonight's going to be, we're going to be pushing an hour tonight, Ryan, because I'm going to be heading to Miami in a couple days. days. Uh, we're going to preview the game a little bit here beforehand. And then I'll also, I'll actually tell you about a couple other ways you can get uh, Ryan and I over the next couple of days before the Miami game. Uh, hopefully we, uh, from Miami, I want to do a, a, a Twitter live session as well. We got some other ideas for some, some quick pods too, that I think our, uh, fans are going to really enjoy. We'll get into all of that tonight we're brought to you by tops friendly markets your neighborhood store with more whether you're celebrating at home or away this weekend tops has all your fan favorites ready to enjoy for football entertaining or any occasion head over to tops get yourself set up for the big weekend all right ryan so we're a few days removed now from buffalo bills versus pittsburgh steelers and we you know we covered it after the fact you know pretty extensively but over the course of the next couple of days, you get you get to really go back and watch it. You get to talk to some of the players, some of the coaches. We have some more things that I think we want to bring up here as we continue to unpack what happened in week one because we got this big, long lead up to the opener. And, and then it happens and the disappointing result happens. You try to you know, evaluate and analyze it all in the immediate aftermath. In math, and sometimes you need a couple of days to let it marinate, uh, we are going to, oh, before we get into our big uh, takeaways here that we want to talk about over the last couple of days as we've done some studying, 
Second half of the show tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our old buddy, Marcel Louis-Jacques, now over on the Miami Dolphins beat. He is going to join us live and in person so we can preview this Miami Dolphins-Bills matchup. Uh, I'm excited to get down to Miami, uh, hang out with Marcel uh, once again. It's it's only been a couple weeks, but I miss my, my, my good friend. Uh, I'm sure he'll have some fire uh, food suggestions for us, but that's, you know, later down the road here. Ryan, hit us with your first thing that, you know, thinking about back to Sunday, what what you what you have, what you're thinking about at this stage. Yeah, first thing that I noticed, the pass rush wasn't as, I, I wouldn't say bad, but I, the pass rush was better than I expected watching that game back. They were getting pushed. They were great against the the run, obviously, but they were actually pretty decent in, in the pass game as well. And I know it didn't show up in the, in the stat sheet in terms of sacks and a lot of pressures hits, but that's because of Ben Roethlisberger. Just like last year, Roethlisberger was getting the getting rid of the ball very quickly. And in fact, next gen stats said Roethlisberger was the uh, had the quickest release in Week One, two point three seconds on average. So it's very difficult for anyone to get home in two point three seconds on average. That's why you didn't see as many sacks. That's why, despite the Bills having some successful pressure, some one on one wins. You didn't see Roethlisberger go down as, as often as uh, you maybe had wished to have seen. So I think this pass rush coming into week two uh, against Tua and the Dolphins, there's a chance, although uh, you know we're going to talk a little bit about the Dolphins here in a little bit, there, I still think there's a chance that they're going to have a much better performance this week than they did one week ago in terms of the stat sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that's a, a great point. And I think what Ben does so well is get the ball out of his hands quickly and kind of almost frustrate your defensive line. And I think, you know, Chris in the comments here is talking about, you know, Jay, uh, Josh Allen wasn't taking what the defense was giving him, getting that ball out, you know, taking the easy stuff, which Ben, at, especially at this stage of his career, he's so much more willing to do that. I think that Ben Roethlisberger, prime Roethlisberger, would have probably take, taken some more of those chances. And But against a really good defensive front, like Josh Allen was facing, a little bit more of the Ben approach, would probably, you know, go a longer way. Now, one of the things that we also saw in this game that I don't even think I really thought about as we were watching it unfold, four fumbles in this game, Ryan, by the Buffalo Bills offense. That is way too many. They, they've they obviously emphasized that throughout the week. We heard from Stephon Diggs and Josh Allen today. We're going to get into some of what they talked about today. But I want to, you know, he brings up Josh Allen, and I want to stay on the offensive side of the ball because I think one of the most interesting things that we witnessed in that week one game was Cody Ford forcing his hand. You know, it's one of the things I came out and talked about after the game, just a, you know, from my perspective, it's got to be frustrating for Ford to continue to develop and continue to, you know, come in here as, as a former second round pick and, and continue to deal with this, this rotation angle that he continues to kind of be up against. Well, in this game, he played his way into that starting role. They brought Ike Bucker in. He got about 12 reps, 12 snaps. And then all of a sudden, Sean McDermott was sitting on the sideline saying, keep keep Cody Ford in. He's playing pretty well. He might be one of our only offensive linemen Mm -hmm. that is playing well and has some type of sustaining, you know, consistent play. I noticed him a couple times in the run game. Obviously, Devin Singletary having a really nice second half. But even in pass protection. At times, I thought he was holding up pretty well. I thought that was a very good sign. If you're looking for takeaways from this game that are positive, that are going to build towards what you're hoping to see out of this this group as they try to rebound next week, Cody Ford's where I start. 
Yeah, that, and that's huge. We talked about him in the summer saying how it was important for him to get the opportunity to win that starting job because he looked so good in the spring and in the summer and in the preseason. And sure enough, they do a little bit of a rotation the first half, but then by the second half, he's pretty much playing the majority of the reps at guard for the Bills. And like you said, going across that offensive line, he was probably the bright spot. We've already talked a lot about how bad Deion Dawkins was, probably the worst performance of his career as a Buffalo Bill. Uh, Daryl Williams completely overwhelmed on, on Sunday. Mitch Morse had a holding call, which, you know, going. I watched it again. I'm still not sold on it. I just think that Lyman threw his hands up and, and did enough of a sell job to draw that one. Uh, and, and Feliciano, when you look back at the PFF grades, when you look at the performance, he had a rough day at the office as well. So in a day where a lot of that, those offensive linemen really struggled, Cody Ford was a bright spot. You know, you mentioned the the struggles and both Allen and Diggs today meeting with the media. We we got to meet with Jordan Poyer as well, and we'll get into a little bit of what we heard from all three. But I thought it was interesting, both Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs kind of standing up for this offensive line group a little bit. And, you know, there's there's no I mean, Josh Allen said it boldly. Nobody lost confidence in anybody on the defensive front. Stephon Diggs mentioned it, and it's important to note, you know, they went up against what could end up being the best defensive line in the NFL. And and Diggs went a little bit further. Like, you know, some some members of the media, I think it was John Warrow that asked the question from the Associated Press about, you know, this is now the second straight game where this offense has struggled with a defense that came in with a pretty good plan. You go back to the Kansas City game, and there was con- some kind of similarities with the way that this offense struggled and seemed to be frustrated by what the defense was showing them. Part of that is you have to get pressure up front, and we know what Chris Jones did against John Feliciano last year. Then you add Cam Hayward. I mean, literally back-to-back games against two of the most game-wrecking defensive tackles not named Aaron Donald in the NFL. You're going to see this kind of thing. Yeah, and and listen, it's not just in the middle, too. They have T.J. Watt. They have Melvin Ingram, and when Melvin Ingram is healthy, he is still quite the pass rusher. So Pittsburgh's front is no laughing matter that – They're great in the front seven. They have a strong secondary. This was just a terrible matchup on paper for the Bills. And facing a a Pittsburgh Steelers team that was pretty healthy, uh, it did not bode well. So you're right. Looking at the schedule, you're not going to see a lot of uh, front sevens like like you did in Pittsburgh in week one throughout the course of this season. There's only so many teams that have that much talent, especially up front. So I think the Bills fans should at least, you know, exhale for now, wait and see what happens in week two against a Miami team that Josh Allen's had a lot of success against in his career. Good question here from Braden uh, Bachover over on YouTube. Do you think we will look back in two months and see week one as a fluke? Obviously, teams change so much over the course of the season. And, you know, I I don't know if this if this was so much as a of a fluke, Ryan, as it was two elite defenses playing against or two elite teams an offense and a defense colliding and it just being a four quarter heavyweight fight that you know at the end of the day the the bills just didn't make as many plays as the Steelers and I think that there's a lot of reasons for it and TJ Watt mentioned in the in his press conference afterwards that he felt super fresh and he looked it right go Mm -hmm. back when they played last year it almost looked like two different players because He came in this year. Everybody was making a lot about him not having a preseason. And while I think that it affected the Bills offense, I don't think that that had any effect on TJ Watt. Almost helped them in a way to come in fully 100% and ready to go. 
Yeah, Watt looked great, and, and obviously fresh in week one. Ben Roethlisberger, listen, he's lost a step or two. His shoulder's not the same. His arm's not the same. But week one, Ben Roethlisberger is going to be some, one of the best performances you're going to see from this guy compared to what you're going to see in the second half late in the season if his arm strength doesn't improve or, or if he keeps having those shoulder issues. So it's just you know timing factored into it. I, I don't like to use the word luck, but I went back and I watched that game, Matt. I think there were four passes that the Bills uh, were credited with the pass defense where the ball literally went way up in the air. And you know as well as I do, in the NFL, when those balls go way up in the air, a lot of the times they get intercepted. It was just they they landed in, in the spot where the Bills just were not at. Tremaine Edmonds almost came up with one. There was one in the end zone that kind of bounced up high. Those little things, every bounce matters. We, we saw turnovers from the Bills. We saw Roethlisberger fumble at one point, and, and the Steelers recover that. If one of those tip balls ended up getting intercepted or if the Bills – recovered that Roethlisberger fumble, that could have been a completely different game. Little moments end up playing big factors in the outcome of the game. And, and you look at that and you look at the block punt, and, and if once that happened, that game was pretty much over at that point in time. So little moments factor into the game, obviously, over the course of those four quarters. I'm I'm hoping to have on uh, our good buddy, Jeremiah Searles. This actually probably would have been a great week for it, but we had to get Marcel on. The first Miami game, we had to get him on to preview the game. But I want to bring Jeremiah Searles on so he can help us break down this offensive line play. Maybe we'll we'll shoot for next week. Then we'll have two games to kind of dive into. We'll see how this this group, this unit bounces back. There's some questions in the in the comments about Ike Butker, about Deion Dawkins. Let's let's say those to the end of the show. We'll talk about that a little bit more in detail as we bring that up later in the show. But you know, you bring up Tremaine Edmonds, and I thought he played a, a fine game. I don't I, I don't think it was anything um, exceptional. I thought he made a couple of really good tackles. Had he made that interception, though, as he was diving for the ball, and of course, it's the the story of Tremaine Edmonds' career, always in the neighborhood and, and just hasn't been able to make those splash plays, I feel like he's just on the cusp of something. So we'll see if if he gets anything going. But, you know, one of the big stories coming out of before the game even kicked off was Zach Moss being inactive. I think it surprised a lot of people. I It didn't surprise me, but... I thought it was going to be interesting to watch how it unfolded from here and how the Bills choose to move on from here. Because as you look to next week, I don't know what changes in the game plan to where the Bills want to activate three running backs. And I don't think they're at the stage yet where Zach Moss is going to get activated over Devin Singletary. The problem is Matt Breida, even if you think that you want Moss and Singletary to be active on game day, Brita seems like to be the backup to Isaiah McKenzie at pick and putt return. And if you watch some video that John Scott from Spectrum uh, Sports put out today on his social media, it looks like Isaiah McKenzie, who was limited in practice today with the shoulder, he's still dealing with it. Yeah, and that's just it. Right now, Zach Moss is the odd man out, and it's hard to figure out what, if and when he's going to get back into this lineup. Devin Singletary, to his credit, ran the ball well in week one, especially late in the game. And yes, you can argue that the Steelers were playing the pass on that final drive, and that's where a lot of his yards came from. But he still showed some burst, some elusiveness, making guys miss. Uh, he looked a lot like the uh, rookie version that we saw out of him a few years back. You mentioned it with Breida. Breida's really important for the return game if something happens to Isaiah McKenzie. But I also think he's kind of low-key important in terms of the screen game. When you go against a defense like the Pittsburgh Steelers one week ago or these defenses are going to be trying to get after Josh Allen based on the success that Pittsburgh had, 
you have to catch them off guard. And, and the best way to do that in some cases is with the screen game. And if you can get Breed of the ball and he has open space, he can be a weapon. He can be a dangerous threat. He brings a little bit more to, to the team in that regard as well. So he helps. We've Reggie Gilliam, yes, he's the fullback, but he's also a tight end. He's also a special team standout. And the same, obviously, for special team standout goes for Taiwan Jones. So until there's an injury, until there's a reason for one of those two running backs to not play, whether that's Isaiah McKenzie's shoulder being 100% or Devin Singletary struggling for some reason in ways, some way, shape, or form, I don't know when Zach Moss is going to get on the field. Yeah, and I think that you know one of the points that I think was brought up quite a bit on social media, especially after the game, was the Bills probably could have used Zach Moss's ability to pass protect. At, with with how much they were struggling uh, at the point of attack. And I, I could see that to a point for sure. I, I think you want to get a guy uh, like Zach Moss, who I think, you know, you can make an argument like for what he did as a rookie. I mean, pound for pound in terms of his experience in the league, he is he is a premier pass blocker at the position, I think. And and I think that that's something that will they'll value. Um, moving forward and that could get him figure out something like you know if, if if you're not using a fullback as much and you have somebody that can play Reggie Gilliam's role on special teams maybe you figure something out there but I just think that there's you know with sing how good Singletary has been it just allows you to continue to ride that hot hand and 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 activate people at other positions I'll be interested to see you know one one other takeaway that I thought on the defensive line I'd be interested to see what they do with AJ Epinesa because to me, he was the most underwhelming defensive end that we saw on Sunday. Now, Effie Obata, he didn't really pop any in any way to me, but there were a few times on rewatch where I thought AJ Epinesa just looked hesitant. And as a pass rusher, I almost feel like that's the worst like character trait you could possibly have associated with yourself is being hesitant. There was one play where he was kind of charging up field and he kind of hesitated for a moment and almost wanted like wanted to let the guy sit next to him. I can't remember who it was. It might've been Vernon Butler make the play. Well, he, he kind of was blocked past the play. And then AJ Epinesa was almost like, well, well, I better get going here and try to tackle him. And it's, it was too late. And, and Ben Roethlisberger got rid of the ball. When you're facing a guy, a quarterback that's getting rid of the ball as fast as Ben was, you can't have that hesitation. You have to be full blast. And at least, you know, that's something that you saw to Rousseau for most of the day, I thought, but you really saw, I mean, Jerry Hughes was, to me, their best defensive lineman, him and Ed Oliver were at the top of the class. Mario Addison, I thought, was really engaged. And I think really proved in just one game what I think Eric Washington was talking about. We talked about it on the show a couple months ago, you know, that he could still be a producer in a different role. I love this role for Mario Addison, but AJ Epinesa has got some work to do because if you could have Effie Obata as that fourth defensive end and get away with it, maybe you go in that direction. Yeah, no, you're right. And listen, expectations were very high for AJ Epinesa coming into this season. We've heard all offseason about the speed, the burst, and we've seen it at times. Listen, it's not like the coaches are just saying it and we haven't seen that. He's had moments in training camp and in the preseason where 
where he looked like that pass rusher that they were hoping to get when they drafted and told him to lose some weight. But in that game against the Pittsburgh Steelers, you're right. He, he was hesitant. He wasn't making the, he wasn't flashing as much as a Greg Rousseau. Uh, he wasn't making the plays of a Jerry Hughes or a Mario Addison. Uh, obviously, Ed Oliver was the, the star on the inside uh, in week one, but just purely talking about those defensive ends, Epineza just was not it in week one. Maybe it was just the bad matchup. Maybe he just needs to kind of get out of his head a little bit and realize that I would almost prefer him to be over aggressive than anything else. If you jump offside once, yeah, listen, it, it happens. It, it's a pain. You're giving up five yards. But I'd rather see something like that than a guy that's hesitant that is waiting for someone else to make a play and then realizes when it's almost too late that it's okay I better do something now so you know Epineza I still like him I still think that he has a high ceiling there's some uh, chances that he maybe flashes here in week two but he needs to make some moves here this week or else you're right the Bills might start considering we bump up FAL Bada we have to do this that and the other because they have a deep roster, Matt, and, and those are the tough decisions that you have to make week in and week out in the NFL when you have a, a roster like this. And it was one week, Ryan, and I mm-hmm. think that that's very, always important to kind of keep it in perspective, and I don't think one lackluster week from A.J. Epinesa is going to make the Bills want to make him inactive and take away what I think are valuable snaps. I mean, this is still a developing player. He needs to be on the field, and so I think that that's something that while I suggest it, if there, I, I think AJ Epinesa would have to have a, a cluster of games of just being ineffective for them to consider the value of that that roster spot for Zach Moss. Because at the end of the day, how many how many snaps are you going to get, Zach Moss? That's another part of this. If you have Singletary active, you're splitting it right there, and you're talking about 14 touches for Singletary. And I know you talk about the pass protection part, and that's important. He could be on the field. But I just don't think there's enough impactful plays for him. A good question in the comments from Mary C. Why was Carlos Boogie Basham inactive for the game? And I think this is something that was trending in that direction for a few weeks. I thought that he was quite a bit behind Greg Rousseau. And Leslie Frazier mentioned in uh, some press availability recently that he uh, it might have actually been Sean um, where he's learning multiple positions and because of that, as a rookie, it's only natural that you're going to be a little bit further behind because you're there's so many things that you're kind of building uh, at one time, and it's hard to like stand out at any one thing when you're at being asked to do all that. So I was expecting him to be inactive, but he's a second round draft pick. He's making this roster, and it could be just a situation a lot like AJ was last year, where maybe he shows enough in practice over the next couple of weeks. Vernon Butler wasn't that good. I I could see Boogie Basham taking his role once Star is active. Yeah, and listen, it's also a numbers game. Uh, The Bills love to rotate their defensive ends as much as anyone, but you already have Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, A.J. Epineza, Greg Rousseau, F.A. Obata. There's only so many guys that you can get on the field. We were just talking about this with the running back position. The same goes for the defensive line. And and, uh, while Boogie Basham is versatile in that he can play inside and outside, you can only get so many guys on the active game day roster. You can only play them so many snaps. He's just the odd man out. Like you said, we saw it with AJ Epinesa last year in time, whether it's an injury, whether it's just, he's improving in terms of his practicing uh, and how he looks on the field. He'll eventually get on the field. The bills do like him. They like the skill set. They like the intangibles, but when you're, you have someone that you're, you're kind of cross training to play inside and outside, that's a lot of work. Mm Mm-hmm. 
if you're watching on YouTube right now, thank you so much. Welcome to the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast for those that have just gotten here. Hit that like button on the video below. Hit that subscribe button as well. That way you can get notifications every time we go live and we will be live quite a bit this season. We got some fun guests planned for the year. One of them is coming up at the top of the hour, seven minutes, 8 p.m. We are previewing Miami Dolphins versus Buffalo Bills on Sunday, fresh on the Miami Dolphins beat. Former Bills reporter for ESPN, now Dolphins reporter, Marcel Louis-Jacques. I'm excited to have him on the show tonight. I mean, we have some memories with Mr. Louis-Jacques. We'll save some of that for when he gets here. We'll we'll go down memory lane, Ryan. But um, before we get there, I want to go to the injury report today because it was a little bit longer than I think anybody anticipated going into today. Gabriel Davis looked like he was dealing with something. He did not practice today. Saw him at the facility. had a wrap on his ankle. So he's dealing with a what Sean McDermott called a lower body injury that ended up being an ankle injury on the uh, injury report. Limited today. Matt Milano, Isaiah McKenzie, who we mentioned with the shoulder, and then Star Latulale, who was back at practice, was limited, still dealing with the calf. I think he's maybe trending in a, in a positive direction. We'll see how that plays out. But Milano is interesting because I saw a lot of, you know, a lot of the reaction that we saw on social media. I almost felt like you could get out the eye roll emoji. You know, for a lot of Bills fans when it comes to Matt Milano, I feel like if you if you've followed this team the last four years and listen, this was a uh, a premier re-signing free agent. This is a guy that when he's healthy, he's one of the best off off ball linebackers in the NFL. Milano, he played like it last week. I thought he was outstanding in the opener, but he's always banged up, right? Yeah, listen, there are players like that. And, and, you know, I was talking about Melvin Ingram when I was talking about the Steelers. There's players like Ingram. There's players like Matt Milano all over this league. Raheem Mostert with the 49ers. Unbelievable talent levels, but they always seem to be banged up. They always seem to have something nagging, something that puts them on the injury report, something that might make them miss a handful of games. So, I, I, you know, to a certain extent, I understand where some Bills fans might have a level of concern. I, I'm not sure I agree with the eye rolls or the, oh, here we go again. Listen, it's a physical game. He, he's he's a guy that's in the trenches. They were just talking on Monday about how much they loved his physicality, how he was in on plays, how he was being aggressive. Well, when you're aggressive like that, things can happen. And you look up and down this injury report, although it was a little bit longer, I, I don't think there were too many surprises. When the Bills went for it on, I, I believe it was fourth and eight, and, and Josh Allen threw long to Gabriel Davis in double-triple coverage, that's when he came up hobbling and, and uh, was dealing with the ankle back then. So no surprise that he's dealing with that. Injuries happen in the NFL. Right now, none of these injuries seem to be long-term, seem to be things where the player is going to miss the rest of the season, miss half the year. We're already seeing across the league how many key players are going to be missing significant time. So while some fans might want to say, oh, here we go again with Matt Milano, hold off, relax, wait and see what happens in week two. Yes, you don't want to see one of your better defensive players on the injury report week in, week out, but it's a physical, physical game. Yeah, and it's an ankle. You know, I mean, some of the things that I think Milano's dealt with over the last couple of years, hamstring, uh, groin issues, shoulder issues, I feel like those are the ones that really should get your eyes your eyebrows up a little bit more. This is an ankle. I would imagine that, you know, he makes his way through this thing and, and, and he's able to play this weekend. We'll see how it uh, progresses. Mario Addison, Cole Beasley, both got veteran rest days today. Um, and then Emmanuel Sanders, who still appears on the injury report with the foot injury was full today. That's a pretty good sign that he came through that game was able to practice today. Yeah. Uh, you know, the foot injury was lingering all summer. 
So when it came to week one, you didn't know what to expect. But he, he was out there. He was making plays. He was a big focal part to this offense. Uh, it's good to see that he's, you know, while he's still on there, he's trending in that right direction. Hopefully it becomes something that in the future weeks, he's off the injury report altogether. But it, it, I'm anticipating he'll be out there again. The Bills are still working. Bills, specifically Josh Allen, working on that chemistry with Sanders. That's another thing to kind of keep an eye on here in these next few weeks, because once that chemistry builds and you have Sanders and you have Diggs and Beasley and Gabriel Davis, this offense, I think, is really going to be able to take off against a lot of these teams uh, that they're playing in the next three weeks, the Dolphins, Washington, the Texans. And then, you know, I know a lot of people aren't expecting uh, great things necessarily against the Chiefs after seeing that offensive outburst that they put on against the Browns, but if they're all healthy, I think the Bills can really get in a shootout with that team. Our good buddy Steve Vega from the Buff Hub. We we got we went back and forth on social media the other day. He is all about this. The Bills need a run game. Uh, the run game needs more balance. And listen, I respect the opinion. And uh, I I do think that the Bills want to run the ball effectively. Ryan, I thought they did that on Sunday. I thought that that was one of the best complimentary performances between the run game and the pass game that we've seen since the, the passing game took off. Right. I, I think you could go back to the Zach Moss game against the Patriots where, you know, he really got downhill a couple times, scored a couple touchdowns, but the passing game wasn't even as effective in this game. The funny thing about this game was I almost feel like this was the blueprint. It just so happened to come against the one of the best defenses in the NFL and one of the scariest fronts in the NFL. They had 371 yards. They just couldn't score the ball. They got to figure that out. Don't get me yeah. wrong. They got to figure it out. Brian Dable's got to get in the lab. And you know, Stephon Diggs talked about getting in the lab. I think it comes down to, though, you saw the ingredients at play. You saw guys getting open. You saw Josh Allen making some plays. If you go back through that game, that you will see some of those throws that remind you of the Josh Allen of last year. You also saw some throws that remind you of the Josh Allen from early 2019. Don't get me wrong. But I think you saw enough from, from Sunday to make you think that they might have maybe stumbled upon something, and we might be able to see that over the next couple of weeks. I do agree on the point of Sanders. I think that there's the potential for them to, to have really hit on something with him. Yeah, absolutely. And with the run game, first and foremost, you know, like Sean, I think it was Sean McDermott today that said, um, you know, yards don't win games, points do. So the, the Bills have the yard part down. Now it's just about turning that into points getting into the end zone. And there were some opportunities I think they'd like to have back, especially uh, in, in the first half when they had some fourth and shorts where maybe they could have tried to use the run game uh, late in the game when they, they got a little bit too fancy when they, they tried to play that worked many years ago with Drew Bledsoe at quarterback. So it wasn't a perfect game plan necessarily, but when we did see the run game, we saw some flashes uh, we know that last year in week 17 against the Dolphins, it was Antonio Williams that went off and ran the ball really well in the second half. So th that run defense does have some holes, does have some some areas where maybe the Bills can attack it with Devin Singletary here in week two. Uh, it's never going to be a 50-50 balance, but I think you could see Singletary get that 12 to 15 carry range. Uh, and the Bills obviously still, though, airing it out quite a bit early and often. From hot to go pizza and appetizers, signature fried chicken, baby back ribs and subs to delicious salads and brownie trays, Tops has everything you need to feed the hungriest fan. Make sure you hit up Tops this weekend. And I think he's in the building, folks. Let's 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 see if we get my guy in here real quick. I 
I, I'm producing at the same time, so I'm a little bit slow. Uh, I got to get the uh, the thing in here. Oh, there he is. There he is. This is the first time I think the people have really, truly seen that fresh new look of Marcel Louis-Jacques. What's up? I to say, you know, without uh, – I couldn't give away the, the reasoning at the time, but I figured with all this humidity, the less hair, the better, man. <laughs> <laughs> It's, uh, it's funny, I had a, there's a woman who, who tagged me in a tweet about a week ago saying, you know, wow, it's so great seeing like Marcel on, on NFL Network, good morning football today. Like hopefully it's a, it's a long-term thing. And I panicked, I was like, oh my God, what did I do that was worthy of making it on good morning football? Like I was sure something <laughs> happened overnight. And no, she just confused me for somebody with dreadlocks. I was like, ah, all right. they don't know yet. They don't know. Uh, she wow. gets a pass. So this is the first time that some Bills fans are really hearing from you since the big move. It's been, as a friend of yours, I know, just unbelievably crazy month uh, of your life. I can't imagine what's gone into this. Just seeing it from the Buffalo end and then you know going to Miami. I mean, what has this whole process been like for you? Yeah, but so I, I knew that this was probably going to happen – uh, like right around the day before training camp, uh, I was basically told, you know, cover the bills, but start thinking dolphins. So I was trying to be two places at once and coordinate a move as well and start packing the apartment and looking for places in Florida. So, you know, I, I feel like maybe if I was, if I seemed detached, uh, you know, as far as my content and production and, and whatnot went, then my bad, I was literally trying to be two places at the same time. Um, but, uh, you know, Morty and I packed up and uh, drove, uh, I think it was two, three weeks ago at this point, took the whole week, you know, stopped in Charlotte, saw some family and friends, same with South Carolina, did the whole Florida drive, got here uh, just before the beginning of the month. And, uh, you know, it's been still a whirlwind. You know how football season is, man. Like there's not really time to – to be exploring and running errands and acclimating kind of have to like keep putting one foot in front of the other. So that's, that's basically what it's been. Um, you know, new, new team, new coach, new system, new PR department, new, new schedule and routine. It, it's just, uh, it, it's, it's been so much to take in, but like, even still, you kind of just sit back like on Sunday and, and look out at 70,000 people at Gillette Stadium. You're like, wow, like forget all the stress, man. Like this is worth it. Like this is still such a, a cool life, man. Uh, I know a lot of people were really uh, surprised, taken aback, disappointed, but still, you know, happy that I, that I ended up in Miami. Uh, you know, it was never a matter of being like unhappy in Buffalo. Uh, loved Buffalo. Did not love the winner. Never, you know, never hid that. <laughs> like never pretended anything other than <laughs> otherwise. But uh, it, it was a pretty substantial pay bump. It was security, you know, another few years onto my contract to move here. Um, I've got family that's going to be moving to Nicaragua pretty soon in the in early next year. It's a lot easier to get to and from Nicaragua from Miami than it is Buffalo, it's a lot easier to get out west from an airport like this, an American Airlines hub. Um, you know, a, a lot factored into the decision. It is a bigger market. There are more media opportunities just for me to grow a little bit here. And it's a new challenge, man. Like, uh, 
You know, I, I loved being Buffalo. I love the size. I love the speed and flow and pace of the city. I loved that the bills mattered any time of year, man. Like it didn't really matter what you were talking about or, or anything like it, it, you could have just an all encompassing discussion in March uh, about what happened in like week seven. Like it, it's I, I love that, man. It's a college football type of, of passion and love for their team. Uh, you know, we'll see what that's like out here. I know there's a lot more to do and a lot more to cover out here. But uh, and a lot more to attract people's attention. But uh, like I said, man, it's just a it's a new challenge. Uh, I'm just excited to to be here. And it, it almost feels like, uh, <laughs> you know, it almost feels like hard to let go because, you know, last week you know, I saw Fairburn at, uh, at in, in Foxborough. And so, you know, we got to catch up for a little bit. And then, of course, everybody's coming here this weekend. I'll be right back in Buffalo at the end of October. So it's almost like, you know. It hasn't really hit because it never feels like I'm actually, you know, I'm actually gone. It always feels like a, it almost feels like a mini vacation. So I grew up here. So I kind of always knew the, the winter. I was in Vegas for five years. Coming back was an adjustment, no doubt. But listen, for people that don't know, the winters of Buffalo made a grown man cry. He put it on his social media <laughs> accounts. Okay. So if you're talking about winters, like, I, listen, I get it. Yeah, it cracked me up. Like somebody was like, Cali Boy couldn't handle the Buffalo winter. It's like, <laughs> yeah, what? Right. You guys, I, I know like it's a thing to like to grow up in Buffalo and, and then not, you know, leave and try to make excuses about the things that you put up with there. Like, you know, snow in May. That's not normal in a lot of places in the country. And like, I really would love people to have. I brought it up on Twitter. It, it, it you know, it was it was mixed reaction. Everybody in Western New York should have like a rum springer where they go like experience the entire month of of April and May out west. Go to California, go to Oregon. I don't care. Like just go go somewhere where it's gonna be like sixty degrees and like you you might be able to, you know, wear short sleeves. Like reasonably wear short sleeves, okay? None of this like Iron Man nonsense when it's thirty-nine degrees outside, y'all are wearing shorts and snow plow like it, it, none of that. Like it, it, it was never for me. But the thing is, man, and and it's the same thing that I told Elena when uh, you know we obviously had the weather conversation. It was like it's gonna snow whether you like it or not. Like you can cry about it, or you can try to make the most of it. I, I did a little bit of both, but uh, you, you know, you just try to find, you just try to embrace as much of the city as possible. And like, I mean, shoot, man, I was only there two years. And like, I miss a lot about the city, man. Like, and not even just the people, like not even just like you guys, like for instance, man, when, uh, when I got here, I check in at when the concierge at my front desk and try to start up a conversation. And it's just, I get like stonewalled, man. And I'm like, no, like me and I've been talking to my dog for the past 22 hours. Like you're going to have this conversation with me. I don't care. So now we're cool. But like, it was like, I really had to extract that out of him. Like the other day, there's glass on the sidewalk and a woman walking her dog. And I told her, hey, like there's glass over there. Be careful. And she was like shocked. She's like almost like, a, why are you even talking to me? What is it's just not that same level of camaraderie that that there was in Buffalo, man. And there's just like certain things that you missed about it. But like I said, dude, like I, I'm I'm still thrilled about this opportunity. I love, you know, waking up hopping out of the balcony i wish that uh, you know the sun was out 
but the ocean is like right there, man. Like it's like a, it, it is really cool to to experience, and it's just the man. I don't think I've ever lived in just the heart of a big big city like this. Charlotte doesn't really count. Charlotte's just a little bit bigger, I think, than Buffalo. But uh, this is just a, it's a different feel, man. It's a different feel. You know, Marcel, you said new team, new PR, new place. What about new restaurants? Because you are the king <laughs> of restaurant recommendations oh, when when you're on the road and also in Buffalo. You know, Matt's coming down in a few days. Do you have some restaurant recommendations for him ready to go? <laughs> Look, I, I, I've got this. Uh, I, I've got a bagel spot across the street from my apartment right now that really, you know, we love a meal. We love an item that changes how you see food. And uh, they've got a croissant there. It is a guava and cheese croissant. And that's something that's not two things I, I would have, you know, I would have thought to put together. I went three straight days after the first time I had it. Like, it's that good, man. Wow. Uh, but other than that, it's been a lot of, it's been a lot of Uber Eats because uh, I'm in a temperate or temperate, a temporary corporate apartment until actually Friday. So, you know, it's just been kind of a lot of Uber Eats into the area. I'm on the 41st floor. It's kind of like a, you know, it, it's a lot to go downstairs. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's, it's an adventure. Uh, the other day, the elevators were down, and I, I texted Ann with the Dolphins PR, and I was like, hey, my elevators are down. I should be there in time for, like, week six. But uh, just in case, uh, are there is there a live stream? I, I think I'm just going to stay home today. Like, I can't think of – my life would have to be in danger to walk down 40, 41 flights <laughs> stairs, man. Like that's it would, the, the dog did not. So, uh, but man, I, I'm, I'm ready to get after it. I'm ready to start exploring. As soon as like I get into my permanent place, as soon as like I have my own stuff, like I still just feel I'm living out a bag more or less now. It doesn't feel right yet, but uh, don't worry guys. Like I, I will, I'll, I'll have enough. I'll have enough to take care of us, man. Like it's, uh, it's funny though, dude. Like I still, I'm still setting up meals in Buffalo, like uh, Brooke Pryor from, uh, you know, covers Steelers for ESPN. You know, she was uh, she's saying that she could go, she want to go to dinner with Elena and, and Catherine. She's like, do you have any recommendations? And so, you know, set something up at Brightsmith to make sure like they had a table. And, you know, they're I was like, can I text the GM over there, Brian? Great dude. Always helped me out, man. Like always looked out for me when I was in town. It's like, hey, can you just keep an eye out for them? Like. I've been hyping this up. Like Brightsmith was literally part of my pitch to Buffalo to Elena. So, uh, you know, just make sure they got an experience. And uh, it's like, man, it just you, you can leave Buffalo, but you never really leave Buffalo, man, I guess. So we could we're going to catch up a lot this weekend. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. But we got a game that we got to cover, and it's a game that all of a sudden has taken on a much different feel i mean we're we're nine months removed from sitting in the buffalo bills press box and and watching the backups led by matt barkley put it on this miami dolphins team and now we're sitting here with the bills a game back in the division after a disappointing first loss miami with Tua Tagovailoa going down going to new england into gillette and him beating the patriots in gillette for the second time Cr crazy times what are you what have been your first impressions of this miami dolphins team you know, it's funny, and I, I said it when uh, I went on with, with Sal earlier this morning. Uh, as I was sitting in that press box and, and watching the game, I'm just keep thinking, wow, I've, I've seen this before. Like, this looks so familiar. Why does it feel so? And 
the Dolphins really remind me of that 2019 Bills team to where you've got an elite defense. And the Dolphins D is, is very, very good. That secondary particularly, they have so many pieces and they're so they're so deep that their first round pick, Noah Igbenogbe, was a healthy scratch last night. Just be, like Sean said about Zach Moss, just a numbers game. But elite defense, probably better playmakers and, and than that Bills team had with a less dynamic quarterback. But uh, ultimately, an offense that might give you a couple drives a game, uh, two or three drives a game, efficient in the red zone but stalls out far too often to truly carry the team if that defense has an off day. And, and as we saw, you know, at times during that 2019 season, uh, notably the the Eagles game, that, that Eagles game, defense had a horrible day and offense just could not carry the load. And, and that's what I think if I'm a Dolphins fan, that's what I would be nervous about after week one uh, about this Dolphins team. If that, if that defense can't keep, the game from getting into a shootout, I don't think they've got the grapes to to really compete there. Um, you know, Tua Tungo Bailoa, the one of the major points of development for him this offseason was becoming more aggressive. Don't you don't spend the fifth overall pick on a check down king. Like you need he needs to push the ball downfield. He needs to trust his arm. He needs to really outthink the game since he doesn't have that arm strength that Josh Allen has where you know, he could be off balance, off kilter and, and fit it into a, a window the size of a thimble. But uh, you know, he's shown the willingness to push the ball downfield. Uh, you, you've seen the confidence in him. You see the knowledge and the grasp of the playbook. But you still see some decisions that really kind of make you scratch your head. And, and Patriots cornerback J.C. Jackson had the rare, you know, he had the rare moment of, of post-game trash talk about him. He said, uh, when asked about the interception, he says, that's what Tua does. You, if he doesn't get that first read, he just throws it up. And there are two plays where, you know, they really should have intercepted him twice. They did intercept him once that late in the uh, in the fourth quarter. And really, that should have lost them the game. The Dolphins deserve to lose the game on that turnover. Uh he says that he was trying to throw the ball away. It kind of looked like Josh Allen until the ball left his hands where he's spinning out of out of tackles and extending the play. But he just didn't have the arm strength to, to get it out of bounds. Or maybe he just didn't know where he was and he missed the throw. E either way, it, it's those kind of decisions that are going to put you in, in a bind, especially when you only make it to the red zone two times. Granted, they're very efficient. They scored two touchdowns when they got to the red zone. But they, they just they stalled out. Far too often, and part of that is the offensive line. Um, I thought they're, I thought they're mediocre. You know, they, they it wasn't terrible, it wasn't good. It was right in the middle. Um, you know, they didn't really have much of a run game. But you know, if if Tua can't push the ball downfield and if he can't really threaten the defense, then this might be a long season for Miami. They're going to be asking a lot out of that defense, uh, and you know, they they really their defense they, they really thrive on creating turnovers. And that's sort of an unsustainable model, man. Like I know they, they've got something like 23 straight games with at least one turnover. But I mean, when Zayvon Howard had 10 interceptions last year, that's just not going to happen again. Like that, that is, it's not a sustainable model. And, uh, but so there, there's a lot, there's a lot to take in. It, it, it's really surprising that they won that game. Um, you know, I, I noted on Twitter that they wanted three, 
areas. They, you know, they, they scored touchdowns, not field goals in the red zone. Uh, they won the turnover battle and they didn't beat themselves as often as the Patriots did. New England had eight penalties, Miami had five. And usually if you win in those three areas, you're probably going to win the game. But it was just they didn't really deserve it outside of those three areas. But a win is a win, right? No, absolutely. Now, you mentioned Tua having to be more aggressive, stretch the field, and that takes us to maybe Jalen Waddell. Just how dangerous is Waddell? Uh, is there any chemistry there that you're seeing for uh, right out of the gate from Tua and Waddell here in week one or what you've seen maybe uh, late in the preseason? Yeah, I, I thought that, uh, you know, we, we asked Tua and Jalen about this last week, and it was really interesting. Somebody asked Tua if he and Jalen had – sat down and watched their film from Alabama and, and gone over some of their routes together. And two said, no, because we're different guys. Like you, you never want to, you never want to base too much on the past because you never know how guys develop in certain areas. Sometimes they're better in this way. They're a better route runner. They're a better X, Y, Z. And so I asked him, okay, well, well in what ways was Jalen better? And he said, he's communicative. Like they'll go to the sideline and Jalen will tell him, not ask him, Tell him, hey, this is what I'm running. This is why I'm running it. This is where I want you to throw me the ball. And, you know, that that's not a matter of him coming in there and trying to beat his chest as a, you know, top six draft pick. That was Tua saying, hey, man, like anything you see out there, come to me and let's talk it through. And you saw a little bit of that uh, on Sunday. First play of the game was a 17-yard catch and run to him where, I'm not going to lie, from our angle in the box, it, it looked like if he broke one more tackle, he really could have went the distance. Uh, 36 yard completion as well in the second quarter, set up a, a field goal at the end of the half. That was actually to his longest completion of his career. Um, and it was a jump ball, which you don't expect out of a five, nine, five, ten guy like like Waddle. But I mean, he, he mossed Jonathan Jones, who I'm sure Bills fans love to hear that. I, I'm not sure if they forgot about that hit to Josh Allen from a few years ago. But uh, yeah, he, 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 he got mossed. I'm not going to lie. Um, when I think of the of what Waddle could do in this matchup against Buffalo, though, I think of guys like uh, like Jamison Crowder or like uh, like Julian Edelman and these shifty slot receivers who you know have traditionally given Taron Johnson a, a lot of trouble. And I, I think that Jalen Waddle is that fast. I think he is that good right now, and, and they're going to need it because I think the Bills are going to send some pressure to take advantage of this offensive line and take advantage of. of of Tua's processing skills. So, uh, you know, Miami's going to need Jalen Waddle to get open. They're going to need Mike Tusecki to get open. But uh, I, I like what I, I like what they what they did. I, I was a fan of the selection at the time when I had no tie to Miami. Um, you know, it, it's a, he's a guy who can create separation just like Will Fuller. Um, and, and they desperately needed that down here. Last year, Dolphins receivers ranked second worst in the NFL in terms of average yards of separation at the time of the catch. So, uh, it, you know, they can't have a bunch of plotters. It's a much more versatile group now. In a lot of ways, Waddle reminds me of some of the things that I think Stefan Diggs surprised, surprises people with. I'm not sure where he's at as a route runner, but like the physicality, I was reading a little bit on Waddle uh, about that, you know, that might be a part of his game, his ability to break tackles that you don't expect. And I think that that's something that if you're the Bills secondary, you mentioned Taron Johnson, I'm really interested to see how they're going to attack this team because one guy in particular that didn't really have a big impact last week, or at least not judging by the box scores, Mike Gusecki. I mean, how the Bills plan to deal with him is going to be interesting as well. If you're if you're talking about Jalen doing so much da uh, damage from the slot, 
Yeah, and and from a fantasy standpoint, uh, a lot of people were disappointed. A lot of people were surprised. Uh, even me, like I, I predicted <clears throat> he would be the Dolphins' breakout player this year. But looking at the numbers, the Patriots are very good against tight ends, and they've historically played Jaseki well over the past two seasons. They rank sixth best or sixth stingiest in terms of yards allowed per game to the position. Uh, Buffalo's on the other side of that spectrum, though. They, they're the second worst as, as far as allowing yards to receivers. Yuseki had damn near 200 yards against them in two games last season, including I think it was an eight-catch, 160 yards in, in, in Miami during that uh, 31-28 uh, Dolphins loss in week two. Uh, so this is a this is a get right game for him. Granted, I don't think Matt Milano or Tremaine Edmonds was were playing in that game, but it's still a get right game for Jacecki. It just it won't be easy. There's a lot of mouths to feed in this passing game that doesn't look like it's going to have a ton of volume. You know, like they have uh, they they have so many weapons, but they don't exactly have. That's not really what they're going for. They're they're going for this RPO type uh this rpo type of offensive scheme where they, it, it's quick hit it's catching linebackers and safeties off guard it's causing them to to, to think twice and uh you know i don't think i'd expect to to throw the ball 35 40 times a game which is probably the number you would want to hit if you expect all these guys to make a, a real you know statistical impact yeah absolutely so i want to flip to the other side of the ball real quick uh, speaking of X factors or guys that you think could have a breakout season, I was surprised to see a player named and, and tell me if I said his name wrong, Sam Egwavan, four pressures, three quarterback hits. He's not one of those names that you think about when you, when you look at this defense and obviously a lot of the big name players on Miami, they're in the secondary, he's a linebacker, but can you tell us a little bit more about Sam? He might be a player that, uh, Bills fans have to keep an eye on on Sunday. Yeah, this is a guy, he had a very strong preseason. I don't think he was really on the radar until this training camp and preseason happened, and he played himself onto that 53-man roster. He's part of that rotation of, of edge rushing linebackers that they've got up here. You know, they run that 3-4, uh, and it, it, it's not just him. It's him. It's, it's uh, Landon Roberts had a I, – I still don't know how to describe the pass, the rough in the passer call. Uh, yeah. He drew on, on Sunday. I guess he hit Mac Jones a little bit low. Uh, it's Jalen Phillips as well, the the first round pick out of Miami. There are uh, they they just really thrive. This entire defense thrives on its rotational depth on on all levels. And and not having I know we're kind of switching positions here. Not having Raquan Davis at nose tackle kind of hurts that depth a little bit. Uh, you know, I'd expect John Jenkins to to slide in and and hopefully take that spot over and kind of bridge that gap a bit. But, uh, you know, that's what Brian Flores told us about, uh, you know, when we asked him why is Jalen Phillips the third string linebacker, he said, man, we just have so many situational groups that that's just kind of you know, who don't even look, don't read the depth chart, they disregard it, use it as a roster guide, if anything. But uh, yeah, Egwavon is, he's just one of those guys that you're going to, you're going to see. It's one of those defenses where, man, like anybody can get it on, on any, given Sunday. I, I didn't want to be that corny and saying a given Sunday, but I mean, you, just, you just don't know what to expect here. So they're getting some pressure. I think I saw eight, um, eight quarterback hits and nine pressures against the Patriots who, you know, if we're talking about offensive lines, I mean, at least on the bookends, I mean, New England might have the strongest, 
you know, tackle group in the league based on what we saw from Deion Dawkins and Daryl Williams last week. I might have said it was a little closer going into last week, but, you know, looking at what they were able to do up front, I'm looking at what they got in the secondary and obviously Byron Jones, Avian Howard, you know, you don't have to talk much about them. I mean, Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs gave them their props today, deservedly so. But then you talk about Eric Rowe. Then you talk about McCourty coming over, which I think is interesting. He played well the other day. Now you got Javon Holland also, who I remember during the draft process, you know, really doing some research into how he might fit with the Bills because of his ability to play multiple positions. How good could this secondary be? It's very good. And Holland is a guy who, you know, some people even had as as the best safety in, in this draft class. Some people had him in the first round. Dolphins were ecstatic to get him in the second. I know there was a I know there was a report that uh you know, Denver kind of thwarted their plans to get Javante Williams. No, it was it was always going to be Javon Holland. He actually he, he played somewhat limited snaps just because that's how they they rotate these safeties. It's not like uh, a Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer type deal where those guys are going to take the lion's share. They they rotate their guys through, and in his limited action, he still forced the fumble on. John Smith. So he really made it. He really made it impact. Uh, Jason McCourty had an excellent pass breakup. We joked after the game. I, I asked him to kind of like break down that play and what he saw and then asked the man, what would you think the 40 time was on that play? And he's like, look, man, don't get it twisted. I can still run. I can't change directions as, as well, but I can still run in a straight line. So it, it's very it's very tough to test the secondary. And that's why there's such an onus on this pass rush to to get to do its job and and make a quarterback uncomfortable and make him, you know, make a decision before he's comfortable doing so. Because with this man coverage, you're, you're kind of banking on, if you're an offense, you're banking on your guy making a play over their guy. And Miami is sitting here saying, our guys are better than yours. Like we, we, we trust our guys more than, more than you do. They got ball Hawks at every position. So it, it's a, it, it is such an intriguing defense to, to look at, man. And uh, you know, the, the, like I said, the, the focal point, the honus here of the, of the offseason was improving that pass rush. Emmanuel Ogba obviously returns. He was excellent last year. They're really hoping that Jalen Phillips comes on, played some limited snaps against uh, the Patriots on Sunday, got lit up once or twice, you know, had a welcome to the league moment. But, uh, you know, he's still kind of coming along after, you know, some soft tissue injuries plagued him throughout training camp. But, uh, yeah, man, if that pass rush – improves to the point that where Miami thinks it can and thinks it will by the end of the season. This is just, I really can't say enough about how good this defense can be. And, and the foundation of it is because they've got nothing but playmakers there in that secondary. So speaking of that pass rush, obviously in, in week one, Buffalo's offensive line really struggled against uh, the front seven of the Steelers, especially those defensive linemen. And, and while, you know, Ingram and Watt, those are special players. Hey, Haywood, uh, how does Miami match up against this Bills offensive line in, in the front? Can they do the same kind of damage that Pittsburgh did one week ago? I don't. I wouldn't expect that just because I, I think Pittsburgh's in the league by itself when it comes to what that front seven or just really even that defensive line can can do and the pressure that they can bring on an opposing offense, but you know, them, they're going to try. <laughs> they're going to try. I tried to ask Christian Wilkins today, you know, how, what did he see out of, out of Pittsburgh? You know, what did he, what did he notice? And uh, you know, just try to, he stonewalled a bit, you know, just said so they were, they were great at executing their game plan. I have a deep feeling that the Dolphins game plan is going to be 
to make Josh Allen uncomfortable, to get him and force him out of the pocket and, and force him into those tight window throws. The problem is that's that's a lot easier said than done. And also it's Josh Allen. You know, Wilkins also said this is a guy who does not have a weakness and has traditionally worked the Dolphins over the course of his career. So, you know, it, they could they could try, they could try to apply that sort of pressure. Um, they're gonna blitz. It's not gonna be the same as 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 Pittsburgh. They're gonna send the house on a couple of occasions and trust their guys to cover. But uh, you know, they're just there hasn't been a lot historically that that tells you that Miami is gonna find a whole lot of success on Sunday. And I think, you know, the fan base is somewhat realistic about that. And, and you really don't have a choice but to be considering how these past, I mean, seven, eight games against the, the Bills have gone for them. All right, I'm going to get you out of here in under 30. Give us uh, your pick if you have it yet for the game. And, yeah, give us your pick. Man, I joked with uh, Beauvais earlier, too, that, uh, you know, I, I can't make a pick here without making one side angry. And, uh, you know, I thought about just calling it a tie just so I can, you know, hear it from both <laughs> sides and say forget it. But, uh, no, I like I said, I just – I haven't seen enough out of Miami to suggest that they – are on Buffalo's level quite yet. I think they're knocking on the door. I, I would feel more comfortable about picking them as the AFC East runner-up than I would New England, but they're not ready to hang with Buffalo just yet. I, I've got the Bills winning 28-24, so it, it's not a blowout. It's a one-score game, but even those have been rare over the course of Josh Allen's career. Matter of fact, the, the only one-score games were the 31-28 win in Week 2 last year, and then the, the loss his rookie season when Charles Clay dropped what would have been mm. the, the touchdown. So it, it's, uh, it, it's, I, I, I want to, I, I, any Dolphins fans that are watching this, you know, I, I'm sorry to, to break it to you. I'll call it how it is. I'll wear it if I'm wrong, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm always trying to give it to you straight here and there just isn't enough. And especially after last Sunday, there isn't enough to suggest that the, the Dolphins have, I've, cross that mental block you know they, they've been asked a lot this past week about that you know 56 26 drubbing in week 17 last year and they insist that this is not a revenge game but almost everybody that's been asked about it has admit that yeah it's it's on our mind like we're, we've thought about it we haven't forgotten about it it's it's embarrassing we we, we want to fix it so we want to make amends for it so and you know, I'd expect them to come out fired up I expect to come out them to come out ready to play but uh, pissed off Bills offense, their team in general, especially that offense, that's going to be really hard to stop, especially in a matchup that they, they have dominated over the past nearly decade. Don't go anywhere, everybody. We're going to hang around for a few more minutes. Ryan and I have to get into the Bill side of this thing uh, a little bit. Marcel, I want to tell you before you go that I think, you know, you talked about the reaction when you left or when you announced that you were going down there and, you know, a lot of emotional, passionate responses. The big reason why that was is because you did it as good, if not better than anybody that's ever done it on the beat. And I think a lot of people are just going to miss you as I will as well. I probably miss Morty more, but I'll get to see him and give him a high five uh, this weekend. And anything you need me to bring you, I mean, I could grab a, I could grab a chicken sandwich from Brightsmith and grab some, some, some barbell wings. What, what do you need? Although I probably Man, won't make the that, trip down there. I don't know if that'll work. That is, that one's tough. That one's tough. You know, Macy's has been bringing out some heat ever since I left. Uh, I told Nick, man, like, I'm going to have to fly you down here. I got miles for you. Just bring some ingredients. You know, we'll go to Publix. We'll get you whatever you need. 
to, to start cooking <laughs> up here. Uh, man, I, I, I don't know. There, like so many things come to mind now. Like, uh, it, I, does, does Barbell sell their, their blue cheese like separately? Ooh, that's a great if not, question. If not, and they're listening to this, they, they probably should. Cause I, I really, <laughs> I don't think people out here have like that, that really good blue cheese, man. Like it's, it's it's not the same out here, but uh, just y'all smiling faces, man. Like that's all I really want to see. You know, I, I'm moving in the new spot on Friday. You know, come on down, have a couple beers on the balcony. We're, we gotta watch ASU play BYU. That's the only rule at, at seven okay. o'clock. I like it. All, I respect all I it. Need. But okay. uh, yeah, man, just want to see my boys again. Man. I miss you guys. Sounds good, man. Thank you so much for stopping in. I can't wait. It's gonna be a fun weekend, my friend. Fun weekend. Mentions are going to be a war zone. I can't wait. <laughs> Marcel Louis-Jacques, everybody. See you later, bud. All right. Ryan Talbot. Uh, we got a little bit more to go here. Um, I'm gonna, going to get you one more read before we bring on Sarah Holland to go to the vaunted comment section. There, It was active tonight, Ryan. I saw it. It was booming early on. I'm like, save some of this for the end of the show. We're going to come back. Uh, in a little while before we bring Sarah on though um, I want to talk about this Dolphins game a little bit more from a Bills perspective and you know one thing I, I think I heard it a little bit on local talk radio today about like you know the the rivalry you know what I mean like the the Miami Bills rivalry although it's you know, it's been a little one-sided in recent years. I mean, it was it was kind of lying dormant for years. I mean, you go back to the Dan Marino and Jim Kelly era. I mean, both of us kind of grew up in that. It was passionate. Dolphins week was big time. And now it's, you know, I think it has a chance to kind of come back. What do you, it, what are you kind of looking at this game, the football side of it? What do you think is that the key to the game for the Bills to get a win here? Oh, create a turnover on defense. Listen, I, I think the offense is going to be fine. I think they're going to put up their their fair share of points. But when you're going against Tua, someone who, as the, the Patriots defender said, sometimes just throws it up there, the Bills have to come down with those turnovers. That's how they're going to increase their lead on Sunday. That's how they're going to put more pressure on the Dolphins and make them more one-dimensional. Uh, although, you know, the run game, I like Miles Gaskin, but it was limited already as is. But if the Bills can really create a turnover here or there, put some pressure on Tua. I think they can kind of cruise to a victory on the road and move to one and one. I'm going to flip that a little bit. I think the Bills have to avoid the turnover offensively because this is a game that, I don't know, I have a little bit of feel with the way that, you know, Josh Allen was taking some chances last week in the passing game. And I know that there was really no balls that were in serious jeopardy. This is a secondary that we saw last week. And obviously Mac Jones doesn't have the velocity Josh Allen puts on the ball. That's one area where I think it could get dangerous on the road in Miami, a couple interceptions, you know, an offense that, you know, you got to, you kind of almost got to guard against pressing a little bit in this game, coming off of a disappointing game, wanting to come out here, smack the dolphins, a team that you've had some success with. Obviously you got to guard against doing too much. It comes back to what Josh talked about last week. And I think they're going to have a good week of practice, go down there, go, go ready to play. But if you start early and in and, and some of that easy stuff, because of how good this defense really is at all three levels, if it's not going good early, will Josh Allen start to press? And that's where the turnovers against this secondary, you know, Minka Fitzpatrick's a great player. I mean, he's, I mean, there's, there's only one safety 
since uh, he came into the league that has more interceptions than him, and that's uh, Tyron Matthew in, in Kansas City. So they have a great secondary. Joe Hayden played great. But this secondary, uh, to me, has the makings of maybe the best secondary in the NFL, and that's a group you don't want to take too many chances against if you're Josh Allen. Yeah, it's not just talented in terms of their starters. It's deep. You you were mentioning it with uh, Marcel, with with Holland there. Uh, they brought in McCordy. They have a really solid safety group depth at both positions, cornerback and safety. So you're right. Josh can't press. But at the same time, I, I like this matchup from the offensive standpoint. You know, the Dolphins play man. I think that the Bills, as confident as the Dolphins probably are that their guys are going to win matchups, I think the Bills are probably sitting there saying Stefan Diggs can win his matchup. Emmanuel Sanders can win his matchup. Paul Beasley will win his matchup. If Gabe Davis is healthy, he can win his matchup. There's going to be a lot of opportunities for the Bills to to take some shots, to get some plays and get some yards after the catch and, and kind of get back on track after looking a little bit disjointed one week ago where they couldn't really get into any kind of flow, uh, where penalties took them out of drives, where Allen taking hits, facing pressure, almost made, you know forced some bad throws on his part. Uh, I think this is a get-right game despite that secondary in Miami being as talented as it is. All right, let's get to the picks, Ryan Talbot. We're going to bring in Sarah Holland to go to the comments section because some good stuff uh, from tonight. I'm going with the Buffalo Bills in this game. I'm agreeing with... Uh, my former peer, uh, Marcel Louis Jacques. I have the Bills winning 27 to 17. I think that this offense for the Dolphins, where I think the Tua is going to play better than he did a year ago, I think that the Bills have too many answers at all three levels. I expect them to be a little bit more consistent across their defensive line, probably force those turnovers that they were trying to force last week against a more veteran guy in Big Ben that just didn't give them those opportunities. I think they force a turnover or two. I think this offense gets right. I think they're able to score some points. And I'm going on the, you know, um, the less aggressive side with the 27 points, but I picked him to pick over 30 to score over 30 last week. And I was, I was burned. So, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep it uh, saddled for, for one week. Fair enough. Bill's mafia. Make sure you like, and subscribe. Uh, we see a lot of you in here, like Matt said, very active chat. So do your part, like this podcast, subscribe on YouTube, all the major podcast platforms. And as for my pick, I have the bills winning 35 to 20 Josh Allen in this offense five touchdowns, maybe one or two off turnovers, and Josh Allen becomes a four-time, four-time offensive player of the week against these Miami Dolphins, continues his dominance, frustrates that fan base, frustrates, uh, frustrates the locker room and the coaching staff as he continues to show uh, that he is kind of the, the Dolphin killer, so to speak, as he's been throughout his career. This summer has been a real hot takey for Ryan Talbot. Uh, you've brought in a lot of like super hot takes and, and I'm here for it. Let's bring in Sarah Holland if she is ready to go and we will go to the chat section. Sarah, how are you this evening? I'm good. How are you guys? We are just plugging along here. We're over an hour on mm -hmm. Buffalo or on the YouTube page. We're sitting here at almost 150 watching live. Make sure you hit that like button and subscribe like Ryan suggested. What do you got for us, Sarah? So I know earlier in the show, we talked a lot about how um, Ben Roethlisberger was able to get the ball out of his hands so quickly and that the pass rush took a lot of heat for that. Um, I just wanted you guys to expand a little bit on that, um, on the pass rush and see what you guys expect um, to see from them in week two and just answer some of the questions in the chat. Yeah, I mean, for me, I think that the biggest leap from last week to this week for that I'm looking for is Greg Rousseau because I think that he showed some some signs. I, 
I really think that his ability in the run game, I think, has been probably something that we didn't talk enough about this summer that I thought showed up pretty well against Najee Harris. He made a couple tackles. I thought that he was active. I thought that his size really presents issues for teams running to your right. Now I want to see him flash a little bit of what we saw in the preseason and get after the quarterback. I think Tua is a guy that, you know, a lot's been mentioned about his processing ability. And I think that if you're Greg Rousseau and if you can get into the backfield, if you can get your big arms up in the air and, and really kind of throw Tua off of his marks, that could create opportunities for Ed Oliver up the middle, Jerry Hughes on the other side, a lot of different things that could happen if Greg Rousseau comes in and has an impactful game, Ryan. Yeah, and I'm going to go with Ed Oliver. Listen, we saw Ed, Ed Oliver have a really good game last week. I, I think pressure off the edge could force Tua up in the pocket, and that's where Ed Oliver comes in. He was great last week. Now I want to see him as in that pass rush role. Can he get after the quarterback? Can he sack Tua and create some pressures and maybe force some bad throws? I think he can. This is a guy that we've been talking about. This is a make-or-break year. This is a guy that could have a breakout season. So my eye is going to be on Ed Oliver on Sunday. What else you got, Sarah? There were also many concerns with the play of Deion Dawkins from week one. I know that that was a huge topic amongst Bills fans everywhere. Um, what do you guys expect to see from him in week two? You want to start this one off, Ryan? Yeah, I'll, I'll start this one off. You know, I, I don't know what to expect. Listen, the, the Bills, the coaching staff, they, ha they have said time and time again, the whole COVID factor, the missed time, the lost weight, the hospitalization had nothing to do with his performance uh, in week one against Pittsburgh Steelers. And, and maybe it was just simply the fact that the, the Steelers have a legitimate, legitimate defensive line and is one of the best in the league. But I can't remember a time that he's looked worse than what he did against the Pittsburgh Steelers. So uh, I need to see a bounce back game in a, in a big way here to kind of say, OK, maybe it was just the matchup. Maybe it was just some bad luck. But. He was beaten badly early. Often he had to take some really obvious holding penalties that just about any referee was going to call uh, because he was clearly grabbing them, pulling these players to the ground. He's that player of uh, maybe among anyone on this, on this entire roster that needs to have the biggest bounce back week. If you think about a lot of the offensive lines issues, you know, you, you go from left to right. And the, the guys that are the ones that you can really rely on are supposed to be your bookends. I mean, in this group, I mean, Deion Dawkins, Daryl Williams were their most consistent, you know, above average to elite, depending on the game last year, level of play. And so to have Deion Dawkins play at a substandard level, I think creates real problems for this offense and kind of feeds into that sugar rush Josh that everybody talks about going back to his early career. I mean, when they're when you're starting to stack the deck against him, whether it be against a good defense or issues up front in front of him where he feels like he has to do more or he's not able to kind of be patient and do the things that they want him to do. I think that's when you're going to run into some problems. I understand. Sean McDermott said came out and said, you know, he was healthy. Deion Dawkins, he was ready to play. They're not going to say anything differently, but I could just tell by the way that he looked that, he, you know, he's not ready to play, whether it be because he even if it's not COVID related and it's just from missing that two to three weeks of training camp, whatever the case may be, you know, and, and that's important to remember. I mean, these guys train all the way up until training camp, you know, over the course of the summer and continue to get their bodies right. He missed three weeks of that. 
So whether or not he's made it back from the respiratory part of this thing with COVID, that's one part of this, but also getting into game shape and getting to a conditioning level to go for 50, 60 plays is a whole different thing. So this is a problem that we're going to continue to monitor. And I feel like with Deion Dawkins not being 100%, if that's the case, it's going to have an effect on the rest of this offensive line. All right, Sarah, what was the third thing? Um, the, so the offense finding rhythm is obviously a huge key for the Bills in week two, you know, staying to their game plan and being successful like they have been in the past um, against Miami. Um, what is something that you guys think the Bills offense should really focus on in week two? Yeah, I think that, you know, one guy for, that kind of pops for me this week based on how we played last week is Devin Singletary. I mean, going back to Miami, I feel like he's a guy that's used to playing in that weather. They're expecting some really high temperatures on Sunday. I just think that you can get the ball in his hands and he showed last week that he's ready to make some plays. So I think combining the approach that they had last week in terms of getting Devin Singletary anywhere in that range of 10 to 15 touches and then relying on the guys that you know you're going to rely on the same type of target distribution that I think that they had in this game. I'd expect them to make more plays next week, Ryan. Yeah, I think that's a great point, and I think a lot of it's going to come down to Josh having to take what's given to him. Matt's already mentioned it. This secondary has a lot of ball hawks, and it has a lot of really good players. So you, you can't get too cute with it. You can take shots from time to time, but take what's in front of you. Take what you can. Let trust your receivers to get those extra yards, and maybe that means a, a little bit more of an expanded role this week for Dawson Knox as well. I thought Knox was again one of the bright spots in Week One: four targets, four receptions. Uh, picking up some yards after the catch on, I want to say on two of the occasions to move the chains. So he's someone that, again, kind of like the offensive version of Ed Oliver, make or break year, high expectations. This is the year he has to put it together. He's off to a good start. We know how the Bills have fared against these athletic tight ends over the years. Let's see if maybe they can get him going and cause some fits to Miami's defense. Funny enough, um, in December of 2020, uh, so a few months ago, Sylvester Stallone uh, bought a mansion in Florida. Um, so Rambo could be coming to Miami Beach this uh, this weekend. I, I'm sorry. That was terrible. I, you know, I went for a little <laughs> comedy at the end of the show. Uh, you know, they call if you don't know, they called Dawson Knox Rambo his rookie year because, you know, he wore the Rambo shirt and he had the angry run. All right. It's, it's late. We've gone too long. Sarah, do you have a pick for the game? I do. I have the Bills winning 24 to 17. I agree with Ryan. I think that Josh Allen's going to come out and we're going to see great things from him. I love it. Another show in the books. We went an hour and 15 minutes. Ryan, this might be the longest we've had in a hot minute. We're brought to you by Tops Friendly Markets, hosting a large party this weekend. I'm sure you are. You want to get that bad taste out of your mouth from last week, Bills Mafia. Check out Tops' huge selection of party platters. For a delicious, effortless, and affordable, no-stress way to impress. For complete details, stop by their carryout cafe or visit topsmarkets.com slash fantasyfoodball. And I might actually grab a, a breakfast pizza tomorrow because its I think it's been too long now that I'm thinking about it. All right, we're going to get out of here. For Ryan Talbot, Sarah Holland, I'm Matt Perino. We will see you in Miami this weekend. We'll have you covered for Bills versus Dolphins. Thank you so much for watching. Subscribe to the podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, like this video, you know the drill. Take care, everyone.